You're listening to the podcast version of How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. For our August 30th show about the health effects of GMOs, I talked with members of the science community and health community about what might be driving the increase in autoimmune diseases, asthma, and allergies. Now, of course, there was a lot more to talk about than was possible during our broadcast. So here's an extended version of the interviews with experts at the Organic Center, located in Boulder. I spoke with the chief scientist there, Charles Benbrook. A study was published recently in the Journal of Toxicology. It was done by a team of medical doctors at a teaching university, research university in Canada, Guelph, Ontario, and they tested the blood of pregnant women and women that had just had their babies, and they tested umbilical cord blood to see if they could detect any signs of genetically engineered crops. And to everyone's amazement that follows this area of science, they detected the Bt corn protein in 70-80% of the samples, not just of the women's blood, but of the umbilical cord blood. Now, Bt... Bacillus thuringiensis. Thuringiensis. That's Bt corn is corn that's been genetically engineered to express a natural toxin throughout the plant so that when the corn earworm chews on the corn plant, it ingests enough of this Bt to kill the corn earworm. Chuck Benbrook, is this a protein like in meat or in chicken or in... Uh, soy or in milk, which our body readily and happily digests into energy and building blocks, or is this a toxin? It's a toxin to the insect because it binds to the stomach wall in the insects and basically eats a hole in it. The insects die of dehydration because they lose their body fluids, but does not have the same effect on human being's stomach. The reason that this finding is so significant is that For 15 years since Bt corn has been planted, the conventional wisdom and the contention by the biotech industry has been that these proteins, when you have corn, you eat corn chips, there's Bt sweet corn. If you eat corn in any form, you are ingesting these Bt toxins because they're in the kernel. But the industry submitted data to the regulatory agencies around the world that alleged that the protein broke down within seconds of getting into the human stomach because of the pH in the human stomach. So it wasn't supposed to survive, and therefore regulators didn't do any risk assessments on it. You mean that the Bt corn was allowed to be into our digestive tracts on the assumption that we have strong enough stomach acids to break down every protein, even though we're in an era where we know that Helicobacter pylori, the little bacteria that is behind stomach ulcers, obviously thrives in the stomach. And we've known for a long time that stomach acid doesn't get rid of every protein. The biotech industry was able to convince regulators back in the early 1990s when the decision was made to approve this original Bt corn that in typical circumstances most of the protein would be broken down. Now I I don't think that 70% of this protein in the bloodstreams of women and their children counts as 
Yeah, indeed. That's why I'm highlighting this particular study as the kind of big surprise that isn't supposed to happen with a technology that many of its advocates have said is the most carefully tested food technology ever, that these GE seeds are the most fully tested ever, when in fact there's been very little independent science done on how they affect the nutritional quality of food, whether there are novel allergens and or toxins produced, and how these GE proteins and compounds move through the human digestive system. Now, Chuck Benbrook, while it's disquieting to hear that we may have these proteins inside of us, these toxins that we're not supposed to get through our digestive tract, it is the case that in countries such as Europe, they don't have as many GMO foods as we do. In fact, they very strongly discourage them. Their rates of increased allergies, increased celiac intolerance, increased autoimmune diseases are going up just as fast as the United States, even though they don't have GMO products. Oh, yes, they do have GMO products. Europe won't allow its farmers to plant GMOs, but there's lots of GM soybeans, lots of GM corn going into Europe in food products and in animal feed. The distinction between the U.S. and Europe, it's simply the Europeans don't want to grow it because they want to avoid the environmental risks, whatever they may prove to be. But there's a lot of research that shows that Europeans are exposed to similar levels and patterns of genetically engineered genes because so much food travels around the world now. This is not the mainstream hypothesis for what's causing the increase in autoimmune diseases and celiac disease and a lot of these other nasty things, allergies. The main medical hypothesis is it's just too clean. If I were to ask most experts on allergies and autoimmune reactions, that's what they would point to. And quite honestly, when I've checked with them, they've been pretty dismissive about the idea that GMOs could play any part. GMOs may not play a huge part, but the pesticides that are used in conjunction with the GMOs may in fact be playing a much more significant part than people realize. What the new science is showing is that there appears to be some common causes for ADHD, asthma, allergies, eczema, several of these autoimmune disorders that can afflict certain kids, and and once they get one, they often have trouble with others. Now, Now, this is a very disquieting area because right now the rates of increase in the United States and in other developed nations are a doubling of these diseases every 20 years is what the projected rate is for some of these, such as celiac. Right. So something is causing this, and I think the evidence is pointing to exposures during pregnancy to so-called endocrine-disrupting chemicals that have the capacity to trigger what's called an epigenetic change. And this is an important new concept that people need to get familiar with. Now, most people, when they think of poison, they think of a dose response, meaning the more poison that you have, the greater the sickness and death from the poison. But if you're talking about endocrine disruptors, That's a weird one. It's more like a U-shaped curve where if a child is a developing fetus at a certain time, then maybe a little tiny amount can cause more damage than in a medium amount. Can you explain that? 
Right. The age-old saying in the world of toxicology is that the dose makes the poison. And one of the stunning things we've learned in the last 10 years and now accepted is that that's wrong. It's the dose, the poison, and the timing of exposure and the tissues that are exposed. So it's how much, how toxic, when, and where. And let's explain how this can even happen. Let's say that there's a developing baby inside the mom. The cells in the baby know that at a certain time of their development, they need just a tiny signal to tell them to hurry up and get something else done. If the signal gets to be high, then even that little baby cell knows, oh my gosh, this is a poison. In some cases, when it's just a little tiny bit, it can actually be more devastating at certain times of development than if the poison is high. That's right. That's why in the field of toxicology, really, all of the action now is focused on prenatal exposures and and risks and, and how these can set the stage later in life for adult disease. We now have strong evidence that some common pesticides that Uh, The average American is ingesting two or three or four different residues a day in their daily diet. can be a risk factor for obesity, for diabetes, for certain forms of cancer, for autism, and for a variety of neurological diseases. This is really incredible that very low level of exposures during fetal development can wreak so much havoc in a developing child. Now, we're talking about mainly a theory here. We can't guarantee that this is something that is driving these epidemics. We're never going to be able to prove what caused a given child to have autism or a birth defect, why one person in a family that smokes gets lung cancer and another person in the same family that smokes doesn't. Health outcomes in particular individuals are the function of hundreds and thousands of random events that happen in your life. It's just impossible to say that any one thing usually causes something. Now, if you break your leg skiing, you know you broke your leg skiing. But with these degenerative long-term health problems, it's much more difficult to sort out the causality. But the impact of prenatal fetal development exposures and what's the so-called epigenetic changes have been demonstrated in multiple studies with laboratory animals. There's no reason to not expect the same sorts of impacts to be occurring in the human population. So we can't say that any one problem can be traced to a particular uh, pesticide, but we do know that this phenomenon is having an impact on public health. So all of this is possible. Right now, we know that China is developing GMOs at an amazing rate. Their expectation is that's because we need it for production of food. We know if we don't have GMOs, we still have pesticides out there. How do we get around all of this? What can we really do? The future for agriculture is integrated approaches that are grounded in the the word around the world that that's typically used is in agroecological approaches where you manage the farming system to sustain fertile soils and healthy soils healthy plants and animals and 
maintain enough biodiversity in your system so that very few pests build up to levels to where they can really threaten a crop or, or livestock. There are, are millions of farmers around the world that are using these sorts of systems, and they're not dependent on GM seeds. They don't regularly use pesticides. When they do have to use a pesticide, it's usually uh, not nearly as toxic one as farmers in the U.S., for example, they become dependent on these broadly toxic insecticides, they really have to amp up the chemistry to keep up with the pests. If you choose to control pests with chemicals, then the pests will adapt and it will take more and more and more chemicals. And that's the slippery slope that American agriculture is having a hard time getting off of. And it's also a slippery slope that today's genetically engineered crops are really pushing the foot down on the gas pedal. Do you really think that old-fashioned farming can compete with all this biotechnology? Old-fashioned farming with modern equipment and modern genetics and modern science, absolutely. That was Charles Benbrook, chief scientist at the Organic Center, located in Boulder. You can hear more How on Earth interviews and episodes of the show by subscribing to our podcast through iTunes or by visiting our website at howonearthradio.org. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.